Good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm going to call us back to our seats. To everyone watching online, peace be with you. Allow me to introduce myself. I see some of us are still rocking name tags, which I love. My name is Ashley Island. Good morning, Alan. My name is Ashley Island. I'm one of our co-lead pastors along with Troy. And before we read our teaching text this morning, I'm bringing you a pastoral update, a little financial update for those of us who are interested in knowing where we are as a church. Troy and myself, the elders and the rest of the staff, we're interested in bringing more regular communications and updates to you that aren't so laborious, just to let you know where we are more frequently along the way. Some of you know we were wanting to end December of last year, reaching a certain goal. Um, and here is where you can see what we did for December. Our goal in December was 450, just for that month. And our joy box contributions, the contributions that you give both in these gray boxes in the back and online when you choose to give through our app. We came in at around 4.075. So that is a deficit of around 9.4%. But here's what I want you to understand when you look at these numbers. Um, our finance committee and our director of operations, we look at each month and we know where we are for each month and that's not always the same target. We know that there are fluctuations in our giving month to month. And so we look at December and we are not alarmed. This is a, an okay December for us. I want you to know that. But I want you to see where we're at. And then for January, we completed those numbers as well. You can see that our budget for January was 175 and we came in at around 133.2. So that's 23.8% of a gap. Now, here's what I want to encourage us. Troy and I and a few of our staff, we went through this series before this one called, uh, called Grounded. And we talked about some of the value of consistency, not just in being a community. But I want to extend you two invitations. One is to consider being more consistent in giving, and giving financially. And here's why that's important. We are projecting based on trends that we see month over month. And if you looked at a year of our giving, you would see these peaks and valleys, and we've come to kind of expect that. Like, oh, this is where we're going to be for the summer. This is where we're going to be for the fall or for December. And my ask is that if we could be consistent in our giving, we can better project kind of where we're going forward and prevent some of these month-over-month -month projections that are a little more sporadic. So that's my one invitation to us. Some of that can be accomplished if you just choose to give um, automatically. So if you download our app and give through the app or sign up for recurring giving, that's a great way to be accountable uh, to giving regularly. But the other invitation is to prayer. Hear me loud and clear when I say we are not anxious as a people when it comes to money. We are grateful that God has chosen to provide for Mars Hill Bible Church faithfully through the gathering of this people. We are grateful. This is not an alarm bell. It is an invitation to say, would you join us in praying that God would continue to reveal God's self through God's generosity? that we would pray more bold and courageous prayers for what God might do even in the midst of pandemic through this church. So one, consistent giving. Two, pray with us 
That's a real invitation. Say, God, what are you doing in our midst? And how might our financial giving meet what you have as your best for Mars Hill Bible Church? So here's what you can expect. Our, our staff is let in on this, even before our congregation knows. So we're having and intend to continue to have regular conversations with staff about our finances. We want to let you know we're working with our elders and our finance committee to make sure that we are faithful in our stewardship of these resources. But uh, for the sake of this morning, this is a quick update, just so that there's good communication. And if you have any questions, please feel free to let myself or Troy know. You can email info at marcel.org if you have any Anything else for us but that's the update for right now for December and January sound good thank you thank you for your attention um, and as we turn our time together in the liturgy this morning I invite you to pull out a Bible if you have one here's what's gonna happen um, as we read our text and encounter the Word of God this morning I want us to practice engaging the word together this way we do have blue shed Bibles. Perhaps it's been a minute since we've had people passing them out. But if you don't have one, there's some on the carts. This morning will be in the book of Isaiah as we conclude this series. And the text begins on page 686, Old Testament, if you have a blue Bible. I'll be reading verses 6, 9 to 10, and then verse 12. So skipping around a bit this morning. Chapter 58, Isaiah 58, verse 6. We'll begin there. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Verse nine, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Verse 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. Prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way for the Lord to
So this is a picture of a house in Mahia, Texas, that was my grandmother's house. And as I was her only grandchild, many fond memories were captured here in this house. Memories of Thanksgiving meals and hanging laundry on the outside line, going up to the fence, the barbed wire fence, where she kept a horse for her friend, and so I became the horse's friend. Then, for the one and only time in its 40 plus years of existence, because my grandmother knew that she was too old and too blind, this house was sold. It was sold to a family we knew would take care of it, and then we found out something pretty special and pretty rare was going to happen to this house. It was going to go through a significant, ship-lapped sort of transformation on a hit home TV show. Out of all the possible things that could happen to a house, we thought this was top of the list. And so expectantly, a month after my grandmother passed away, my mom and I gathered in front of the TV to see the big reveal. And what happened next was something that I didn't expect. Before their new kitchen, an updated layout, the fresh paint, the fluffed pillows, before all of that was finally revealed, the B-roll of the episode opened with a man holding a sledgehammer, smashing through the kitchen countertops that held so many fond family memories. Without warning, within the first 15 seconds, I instantly burst into tears. I realized that before we could get to the shiny, new, beautiful version of this house, I had to face and acknowledge that what I once knew was no longer. The thing that I've wanted to say, Mars Hill, is that as we face brokenness, whatever is in a heap of rubble before us, that God is a God of restoration. Amen. He is a God who sees what is broken and not only has a vision for what it could look like, but he also knows what it was originally created to be all along. God has always been in this business of transformation and as Jesus people for the sake of the world, part of that vision is in the work of restoration. To join God in the real work of entering into what is broken, putting our hands to the bricks. God is a God of restoration and in part, Restoration requires repair. The problem for me at least comes into play when I essentially edit out the repair process. Because I refuse to spend any time considering what is broken. You know they do this in the shows. 
60 minutes. Come on, I guarantee you someone has royally messed up a house flip because they thought the demo was only 20 minutes long, like on the television, and that they could spend the other 66% of their time staging and decorating. We cannot join God in the work of restoration if we are not willing to examine what exactly it is God is pointing to that needs to be repaired in the first place. Otherwise, what I think will happen is that God will keep building because God is faithful. But we as a body will keep insisting that God is nowhere to be found Not because God is dead. I love that Troy called us to the fact that God is still alive. But because our part of the dialogue is taking place inside the sometimes stagnant, insular shelter of our four walls. Walls of ritual or religious duty, walls of checked boxes and walls that strive for perfection, when God is calling us out to actively see, examine, and to repair the things that God cares about. So not too long ago, I was coming home with our two daughters, and the girls and I, we walk into the house. Delwyn and Miles aren't anywhere to be found. They're still out. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a shadowy figure. It kind of looks like maybe it has wings. And so for a split second, I think, oh no. A poor little birdie somehow got inside the house. And we just need to usher this precious, sweet, innocent little birdie back out through a window or through a door, get its back to its sweet little chirp chirp mama But then, in the second half of that split second, I realize these wings are pointy. Those eyes are red. Those teeth are fang-like. In Mars Hill Bible Church, I testify before you this morning that I ran out of my house and left my babies inside because a bat! was fluttering around my kitchen like it paid rent. So this bat is fluttering around, and I did what only I knew to do. I screamed, and I called a neighbor. Here's Andy Allen. Some of you may know him from Mars Hill Bible Church. And he came over right away (laughs) with a tennis racket and a mask just in case. So our house needs some bat-proofing, that's for sure. But an unintended residual consequence of that reality, though, is that now, whenever our youngest is in the car with me and we're approaching home, she, every time, preemptively demands, no bat. No bat, mom. It's been weeks. This girl still has a visceral response to that one event. 
And her response is hard resistance. No bat. Amen, baby girl. She says, I'm not getting out the car. I'm not going in, mom, until you confirm that there is no bat in that house. And every time I do, I do. I say, no bat, baby. Mars Hill, God has a vision for a good house and its restoration. Whether that house is our actual home in which our family lives, whether that's the church, whether that's our neighborhoods, or maybe that house is you. God has a vision for this. But if we will not get out or go inside to look around, if we will not consider our current responses to the places where God is calling for repair, we will not actually be able to take part in the invitation that God ex extends to us in rebuilding what is broken. What I'm going to show us now, it isn't an official offering from the field of psychology or human behavior. This is a result of my brain and the limitations thereof. But as I thought about what I've observed in myself and in others in response to broken places, both within and outside us, here's what I've noticed. It's almost like what I'm calling this reaction continuum. Take a look. Or perhaps some of us are paralyzed in reaction to brokenness. Maybe some of us are apathetic. We just stopped caring. Some of us are neutral. We'd say we're stuck. Maybe past that, some of us perhaps are moved. If moved, not in motion, perhaps to action of some sort. And then some of us are overactivated. Where not only are we moved, but we're moved beyond what we've been invited to do, saying or doing things that God has not asked of us. Let's try this out. When it comes to disparities and disagreements within our education system, where do you find yourself? When it comes to the growing wealth gap reflected in the housing market, where do you find yourself? the plight of vulnerable children, those in orphan or foster care, refugees. Where do you find yourself? When it comes to war and the impact that it has and the flourishing of families, society, and full countries, where do you find yourself? As the people of God, we are not called to hide, and nor are we called to harm. We are not called to ignore, nor are we called to incite shame or violence. As a Jesus people, we are called to counteract these reactions and enter into and pursue restorative shalom, peace with our very presence, living out good news where there's been demolition and division. 
So perhaps here is where we confess that sometimes our reactions prevent us from fully entering in and showing up on site. So what then are we supposed to do? The text for this morning is personally really important to me, and I'll tell you why in just a few moments. But what we see is a people of God doing exactly what they felt was necessary in their religious life. For context, this is the early post-exilic period, so 530s and 520s BCE, and the people of God are back in Jerusalem trying to rebuild a new life and a new community after having been exiled in Babylon for so long. They're trying to do what they need to do to become a society again after being captive. And part of their normative worship experience included fasting. So if you read the fullness of Isaiah 58, you'll see that they were fasting and seeking God, just waiting for God to reveal God's self. They were waiting for revelation. They were waiting for God to show up somehow, but God wasn't responding or showing up. They're going, God, we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're emptying ourselves. We're making room for more of you. We're withholding nourishment. We're fasting and we expect you to show up. Where are you? We put a bookmark in these pleas from the people. And we look at verses 3 and 4. If you have a Bible, look at verses 3 and 4. The prophet says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. In the folds of verses 3 and 4, it's not just about the people's desire for God running parallel to their desire with something else, their exploitation. They were exploiting the people who worked for them. They were quarreling with one another, which was stalling their much-desired progress for rebuilding the temple. Leadership was getting into fights and talking to one another maliciously in the comment section. How immature of them. They think it's religious ritual that will lead to relationship with their God when what God longs for and is looking for is their entering into repair. This word in Hebrew means to build, to raise up. When you look at the English etymology, it means to build, raise up, to mend. If you think of if you're a sewer, if you're a sewer stitcher, to mend something back together, to bring it back, to restore to a complete condition. If you break the Latin down, re means again. Second half of the word means to make ready, to prepare, to re-prepare it for what it was originally created to do. This definition doesn't say this, but I, I think God intends to restore the integrity of what he created by our saying yes to the invitation of repair. He said, the world looks like this. I want you to join me in doing this. Bringing it 
back together, mending what is broken. God wasn't just asking them to fix some drywall. God was calling them to see the original condition God had intended for people and relationship and to put that back in order, to raise up and build up those with lesser societal status and economic rights. Notice, if you read the fullness of this chapter, that God says nothing of a building. The people wanted a building. He wants bread for the hungry. Their very religious ritual of fasting meant they had enough food to forego while others were forced in their hunger. So the Lord asks them in verse 5, is this your, is this your response? I read that verse and I think of how some of us may have grown up believing that ritual was the recipe. That ritual was the recipe, just like the exiles. One day a week for church, Wednesday, if you were really knocking it out the park, scripture memorization, VBS, camps, all of it. Checkbox after checkbox. Don't make too much noise. You need to be respectful. Don't speak up. God doesn't want to hear you right now. Checkbox after checkbox after checkbox of ritual. To be a ritualistic people for the sake of appearance versus a Jesus people for the sake of the world will prevent us from joining God in what God is doing. But God is clear through the prophet Isaiah in saying, I don't want just ritual, I want repair. I want you to loose chains and set people free where injustice is evident. I want you to untie ill-fitting burdens from others who have been unfairly and unnecessarily weighed down. Look at every location in the text where God points them to, where God desires his people to be. He says, I want you to be waiting in the wreckage. I want you to be proximate to people's pain. I want you to be up close to injustice. And he promises that that kind of worship will result in him giving them a new name. He says, I will call you repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. In his book, To Live in Peace, Mark Gornick, he says, the need for structure and direction amidst the chaos that can envelop people's lives has led many to construct a community based on rules and regulations. The central question is, what is the basis of the united fellowship of Jews and Gentiles? An encounter with Jesus Christ, or rather compliance with religious standards? Inclusion in the community of God is based not on religious rules that divide us, but on God's initiative that brings people together. That mends what was once broken. Do you see that movement? 
We are not to run and hide and pretend that we don't notice behind our playing church. Nor are we called to rage against the brokenness without presence. Neither of these responses is faithful witness, Mars Hill. Because of God's initiative, we are called to, I'll say it again, we are called to repair on site and up close. Okay, now, why this is so important to me. On November 18th, 2016, I was on a silent retreat. I was sitting by a lake, and in short, I asked God for a new name. Not Jessica. I wasn't asking for a new real first name. Not that kind of name. I said, God, I want you to, I need a name that would carry me through as my why. Not just in ministry, but in everything. And in short, Holy Spirit gave me Isaiah 58. That was the reply to my desire. Marcel, as a black woman who has operated in majority culture spaces, I needed a compelling why for when that contrast was too harsh, when the asks were too tokenized, when the division seemed too deep. I needed a why for why I seemed to more often than not be the only woman or person of color in the room, especially at churches. I needed a why that was more healing than my racial, relational wounds were hurtful. As one of the only black women in many spaces in my life, this has been God's name for me since 2016. Not leader, not pastor. I said, Ashley, would you be repairer? Would you, would you show up and be repairer? Whether it's within the church or not, this name calls me to put ritual away and to hold my life accountable to repair. Sometimes that means calling the church to see where she has harbored racial injustice or sidelined the socially, economically, or societally marginalized where the church has silenced women, where the church has sidelined the poor, sidelined those who have endured abuse. I've seen ritual allow for the otherization of my brothers and sisters, but I have also seen the kind of fasting the prophet relays that God desires, radical generosity and welcome, humble and contrite repentance, I am on this stage because a handful of people early on declared my voice was an important one. I am not here and I don't believe in the church just because of ritual, Mars Hill. Ritual doesn't cut it. Repair does. Consequently, I don't want us just to be good at rituals here. I long for all of us to share the name, repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. But in order to do that, we need to practice getting good at being acquainted among broken places. And unfortunately, that is uncomfortable. 
kind of like having a bat in your kitchen. That will require something of you that you do not want to give all the time. That will mean we make room for practices like lament and confession in the folds of our collective formation. Troy asked you to hold us accountable to a few things last week, which I fully agree with. And I ask you to hold us accountable to building the house that God wants to build. That is one of repair, not of ritual, because the work of repair can seem overwhelming at times. So three possible invitations for you. Take one or take all three. I hope you take at least one, please. The first is to show up. Others organized programs, they're good, but they cannot be the extent of our accountability. So often, at least for me, what I want is a menu of ways I might be involved with something. And then I opt in. I need someone else to tell me what I need to be, and then I opt in. We have to practice showing up, not just here at church, but in our communities, in our neighborhoods, showing up in the streets where we work and play. We've talked about place recently. What might it look like for you to show up in the places where there is actual rubble? The local school board, the neighborhood association, a shelter, and simply practice showing up. Maybe you pray through the meeting and say zero words. For example, I can't make the King Park Neighbors meeting on March 17th at 7 p.m. because I have an elder meeting. If you live close to Mars Hill Grand Rapids, what might it mean for you to attend that meeting and listen for places where repair is needed? To do this for your own neighborhood or community. Repair requires a relationship, church, and relationship requires presence. How might you show up in a different or new way? Second invitation is to see. We need new eyes as a people of repair. We just sang about this. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart. Show us, God, something different to see not just what currently is, but to go back to our definition of repair and to see what God had intended for that thing, that people, that place all along, to put something back to its complete condition. We have to know its intention originally first. I recently saw a beautiful example of this through a man named Theaster Gates. He's a potter and he lives on the south side of Chicago. But in looking around his neighborhood on the south side, he saw that it was in shambles. So he started to see his neighborhood through the lens of what it was actually meant to be at its best. He saw what his neighborhood, neighborhood was already good at doing, the gifts that it already held, and he used what he had to be a repairer. So he bought an old abandoned house because nobody wanted the old abandoned one. And in collaboration with others, what was once in shambles became art, beauty, and home for community dinners, creativity, and goodness on the south side of Chicago. He did this over 
and over again. Imagining what spaces in his midst could mean for his neighbors flourishing and to see his neighborhood as God already had. All of a sudden, a community that was considered the bad part of the city, a community that was avoided, became desirable. The community was restored of its pride and dignity. What do we need to see differently? I'll talk about this in just a second, but maybe that something is you. Maybe it's not a building. Maybe you need to see yourself the way that God sees you this morning. Final invitation is the word someday. As a body of Christ, there's variety in our roles. So the work of repair will look different for all of us. Some of us will create with our hands. Some of us will help heal with our presence or our listening ear. Some of us will write. Some of us will speak. Some of us will show up in solidarity with others on the fringes. But we all need to get comfortable saying, not so what, but someday. Especially now when we're being saturated with images and reminders of despair and loss, corruption and failure. We need to hold even tighter to God's vision for someday and live into it. I have two specific some days and I'll share one with you. It's that our relationship to our community in the city where I live will be such that when we hear gunshots in our neighborhood, we wouldn't duck or have conversations about moving out. My someday is that we would have had built enough trust over the years to hold space with victims' families, to show up on site of where violence happened to pray together in faith. Maybe even have a relationship where someday we can show up at a hospital and sit with a grieving family. That's part of my someday, that we would be able to bear witness to the beauty and goodness that's already part of the community because some of that goodness is in its people. Jesus didn't call his disciples to ritual. Look at how he molded and, and mended and repaired. Just want to write these chapters down and look at them later. John chapter 4, Jesus shows up to Samaria where rabbis and Jews dared not go. He shows up and a woman becomes an evangelist. John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, from the cross, Jesus sees a new family before him. He sees his mother, who will soon be without a son, and he sees his disciple, and he says, you too, your family now. He sees a new family. John chapter 13, Jesus saw a someday for a societally despised criminal hanging next to him on a cross. The criminal asks Jesus to remember him, and Jesus says, today is that someday for you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. To be a Jesus people for the sake of the world, then we must also enter into repair. We must show up. 
We must see as God for God's eyes, and we must proclaim someday without despair or hopelessness. And I just feel I need to say this isn't just for the world. It's so easy to say that's for everyone out there. As I was praying this morning, Mars Hill, felt like some of you need to hear that this is for you. Perhaps some of you have been showing up for years with a broken place, a pile of rubble inside of you that you were told was not allowed to be talked about, was too much to handle, was not appropriate to discuss because it might shame your family, and you have been living and showing up to a place intended for the proclamation of freedom because of the good news of Jesus Christ, and this might be for you. So this is your invitation. If you are tired of, of just seeing yourself and your story as a pile of rocks, we've got Brian and Trace in the back. We've got people ready to pray with you, to hear your confession. Perhaps you're going to the prayer walls while we receive from the table. is isn't a prayer for someone else. It's a confession written on a piece of paper. And if you were to put your name on that piece of paper, one of our staff, one of our pastors will follow up with you and hold that space with you. Some of you are tired. And maybe today is that someday when you realize that repair can take place in you and your story as well. So we do, we, we come to the table. This is a table that was set not just for a meal, but for construction. where the broken pile was Jesus' body and the mending that happened in the extension of bread and cup was the best transformation we could have ever hoped for. So, Marcel, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. So would you pray with me in a spirit of thanksgiving how right and good and joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so, Spirit, we pray that this meal, the receiving of what has been so generously given for us, God, that we would sense the repair that you long to see come to fruition in us and in your world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
And so now, church, we proclaim with our brothers and sisters, not just in this room or watching online, but all across the world, all across the world, thinking of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now, who proclaim this mystery of our faith, let's say it together. The Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Church, receive who you are. All is ready. The table is ready for you to receive. Receive who you are, the body of Christ.